reading from verse 7 to 11. Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which ye have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which ye have heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you. Because the darkness is past, and the true light now shineth. He that saith he is in the light, and hateth his brother, is in darkness even until now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness. And walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whither he goeth, because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. Amen. Amen. So we see the Apostle John, the Apostle whom Christ loved, continues with what I would say is a remarkable epistle. Remarkable in, in this sense that we know from the, the gospel that John wrote, the gospel account, that there was a depth, uh, there was, a, a, as it were, a point of view, there was a relationship to Christ, there was a revelation from God about Christ in a very different way than the other gospel writers. Matthew, Mark, and Luke tend to be uh, gathered together. Uh, they called the synoptics. Um, I don't agree with that term. They all had their own optic. They all had their own view. They all brought with the, with the word of God. But it must be said that John is very different. And as John writes this epistle, again, it is very different. It is very different. It's not like Paul. The, Paul spends, the apostle Paul spends much time... Um, often half of an epistle, sometimes even more than half an epistle, opening up deep revelations and deep theology about Christ and what Christ means to his people and the work that Christ has done for his people. And so giving us theology, giving us doctrine after doctrine. And then the second part of, of that epistle, he, he starts applying doctrine, not necessarily the same doctrines, but applying doctrines in a very practical Christianity. So we have doctrine and then we have uh, practical uh, uh, duties, doctrine and duties is one way of splitting them up. And that's the way he writes. John doesn't write in that way. Why? Well, John's a different person. Yeah, John is a different person as, as, as ministers are very different from each other. As the pipes of an organ are very different from each other. Yeah, they all blow with the same air. Every minister should blow with the same spirit, but the sound that they would make can be very different depending on how God has created them, how God has gifted them. And we see that with Paul and John. Knowing something of Paul's writings, I trust you do. And now coming to John's first epistle. Very different. It's remarkable in that sense. But it's also remarkable, and this is more of a play on words, that we have many marks of conversion. Many marks of God's work within a soul are, are shown to us again and again, and again. And, and John pulls no punches as we've already looked at. Pulls no punches. He says, if these are not in you, 
then you're not of God. And he uses various, various things. He talks, of, he talks of the fact that there is no gospel light in you if you walk in darkness. He says if you keep not his commandments, uh, that you're a liar. Your profession. So he pulls no punches. He's very direct. And you might think, well, this young man, this, 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 this youth who, was, who, who leant upon the breast of Christ and, 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 and saw Christ in many ways like a father figure, as well as his saviour and other matters. But, but this is not the same youth. This is a man who has grown in Christ, has, has, has been that apostle of Christ as, as, a, as, as Christ has called him to. He has written a gospel account. He has uh, been uh, going around, as we will later understand, uh, parts of, of the empire, and ultimately, we know from Revelation chapter 1 that he's then, he's banished to the Isle of Patmos. Uh, Patmos, uh, an, an island uh, belonging to the Ionian Islands uh, off the coast of modern-day Turkey. So that area, those little islands between Greece and Turkey, shall we say. And there he's banished and he stays there. It would appear to the end of his time so there is development in John. There is development in John and in himself. And as, he's, as he has been this elder, as he calls himself, as he has been this missionary, as he has been this apostle, he has come across false convert after false convert after false convert. Paul speaks of them. He speaks of false converts. He speaks of false teachers. The church at that time had them. The church of this time has them. And so it would, see, it would appear that John, when he's writing to the church, he's giving us the benefit of his experience. And that experience is an experience uh, that is blessed by the Holy Ghost. That the Holy Ghost inspires John to write of these things. To give these marks that nobody in the church would have to go to hell because... They are a false convert. They have a false hope. They've done a ritual and they think that's enough. But that they would examine themselves. Everyone. And I trust even the most gracious true convert amongst us when we read these things that we would know something of the convicting work of God. Because even though we would confess that we are sinners and therefore we lie not, and yet, do we hate sin as much as God hates sin? Because he hates sin. And that we would be convicted and know the convicting work of God. And in all these other matters that we'll look at as we work our way through and examine this remarkable epistle, as John challenges you and me this morning, he challenges us and he exposes us so even, even, even true believers can, can have these ideas that elevate ourselves, but, but John puts us down in the right way that Christ will be exalted, as well as exposing the difference in so many different ways between a true believer and a false believer. Now John spends much time upon this, and as we looked at when we first opened up John 1, um, 2 Corinthians 13 verse 5, speaking about that self-examination, 
Uh, the, the words con, uh, concerning the institution of the Lord's table, 1 Corinthians 11, again talk about the, let a man examine himself and eat and drink of the table. These are the three main places that we have in the Scripture. And so let us be as balanced as the Scripture and take it to heart that, uh, that we have these three places that we should take it seriously. We should not just uh, hear this word that challenges us, our presumption of salvation, and just leave it. No, of course not. Because, uh, because minister, I've got a date right written in the front of my Bible. The date means nothing. The conversion story means nothing. By their fruit ye shall know them is the scriptural determination. So we have a further mark of a true believer is now revealed to us here. And they're not revealed to us by words or works alone. But by the motivation, by the feeling, uh, by the unconditional love that's expressed in and by those words and those works that we will have. Agape love. That's what it really comes down to. These, these verses that we have here, they, uh, they revolve, and re, uh, revolve around uh, these verses that we have here. In verse 10, really, he that loveth his brother abideth in the life. That word for love that we have is that word, one of the two words in, in the New Testament Greek that speak of love. One word speaks of conditional love. Uh, you're nice to me, I'm nice to you. I mean, that... That, 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 that is not a bad love. That is not a, a weak love in and of itself. It can be a very, very strong love. Relationships, friendships are held together. That people are being kind and helpful to each other. That's not a weak love. But it's a very human love. But this agape love, a love that which, in this case, distinguishes between truth and falsehood. And, it, and as, as John will uh, open it up, um, a true Christian from a fake Christian. And, and, and why is that that agape love? Why is that a great dividing line between true and false professions? Well, not only because the Word of God says so, and that is, of course, sufficient for every true Reformed believer, but more so to possess that love and to give that love is proof that there has been a divine work within you. If you have received that love, therefore you would give that love. And you can only give that unconditional love, that agape love, when you have received that love. And no amount of hard work on your behalf will generate it when you don't have it. None at all. It will all be show, it will all be dead religion, it will all be hypocrisy. And while it is very true that people's natural characters are very different one from another, that, that, that one person might be, be more gentler than someone else, somebody might be a little bit more affectionate than someone else, and that is true, there are different characters uh, within the true church of Christ, shall we say, within the, the invisible church that is still on earth. True grace, though, true grace, true work of grace and this agape love, this unconditional love, are given to all of God's children without any exception. That's what John's saying. That's what he's saying. Is that when he who has begun a good work in you, that good work will show fruit. It would also show that where there is 
unconditional tenderness and love coming forth from that person, it is an indication that God's unconditional love has been poured into that soul. And that grace and that love, of course, is to increase. Not just something that you think you've experienced a conversion, but that, that, that work of sanctification. That work of increasing your love to God and to the people of God is to grow and to grow. Grace unto grace. So very briefly then, such love is gifted by God's grace. These are not the points, by the way. But such love is gifted by God's grace. Such love is commanded by God's work. And such love is evidence of God's work. That's what John is speaking of. So the title of this sermon this morning is The Mark of Loving the Brethren. Looking at the various marks of God's saving work in your soul. The mark of loving the brethren. And as we open up verse 7, we see that this is a new commandment of ancient times. The new commandment of ancient times seems like a great contradiction. And on first reading, you might probably think, what's, what's John speaking of? He, he speaks of an old commandment, and then he says it's a new commandment. Let's just work through what he's saying here. Because when he says that it's an old commandment, it's an old commandment which you've had from the beginning, he's speaking of Old Testament love. Old Testament love. The high standards of care, of affection, of kindness amongst God's people of the Old Testament were very high, just as high as that of God's New Testament people. If you would turn with me to Leviticus 19. Leviticus 19. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus and chapter 19. And if you just look from verse 9, we're not going to read the verses, but I'm going to summarize them very briefly. See these acts of love and attitudes of love that are expected and commanded and described to the people of God there in Leviticus. So verse 9 speaks of having love to the poor and leaving gleanings behind in the field. Not picking up every grain and not, 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 not harvesting every single grain so that there's nothing left on the field. You, you've taken it all, but God says no. You'll have love to the poor. And not just in the field, but also in the vineyard. You will leave them for the poor and for the stranger. And then verse 11 speaks about not having theft or dishonesty. We, we, we consider that in in the Eighth Commandment this morning in the adult Bible class, that you're showing love to what another person has and not taking it from them. And 12 talks about, you shall not swear by my name falsely. So, well, of course, that is loving God in, in, in not taking his name in vain. But it's more than that, although that is sufficient. But it's also that you will not be a blasphemer in the ears of God's people, that they would not have to hear your blasphemy. I've missed out stealing. No, no, stealing and dealing falsely, sorry. And then you shall not swear by my name falsely, that neither shalt thou profane the name of thy God. I am the Lord. Then we see in verse 13, you won't defraud your neighbor, you'll neither rob him, using violence to take from him. 
The wages of him that is hired shall not abide with thee. Again, so much of which we looked at this morning. If you missed out in the adult Bible class, let me encourage you uh, to come along at 10 a.m. on the Lord's Day morning. We see love, therefore, towards people's property, love towards your neighbor in all sorts of ways, and then love towards those that are deaf and to those that are blind, that you would not cause them uh, to, you wouldn't despise them, you wouldn't hate them, but you would love them. You wouldn't curse the deaf. What does that mean? Well, you're insulting them, you're cursing them, and they can't hear you. And of course, that's a, that's a great laugh and joke for everybody else who's, who's around you who can hear but it's a despising of that deaf person. And of course, very similar to not putting a stumbling block before the blind. Something that you do see in popular culture, or as a joke, or in films where where that would be done. And it speaks about love uh, as regarding righteousness, that you would do no unrighteousness, that you wouldn't have favoritism, either of the rich or of the poor, but you would judge righteously that you would do that which is good. He moves on to gossip. Thou shalt not go up and down as a talebearer um, among thy people. Now, thou, neither shalt thou stand against the blood of thy neighbor. No gossiping, no false witnessing up to the death penalty is really what that's pointing to. Verse 17 then, no hatred. No hatred at all. Thou shalt not hate thy brother in thy heart. Because it's very easy not to hate thy brother on the outside, putting on a smile and being, you know, pretending that you're, you like that person, but inside the hate is there. God says, no, no, I don't even want hate in your heart. No hate and, and nothing else that we've seen from here. And these are just a few examples, a few applications of what the Lord then comes to in verse 18. Thou shalt not avenge. You won't take revenge, that's the Lord's right and privilege. Which means you'll do none of these things that we've just been looking at. Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge, no grudge bearing against the children of thy people. How many hold grudges? Someone's done you wrong last week, last year, 50 years ago, and you haven't forgiven them. And yet you expect God to forgive you your every crime and sin. Nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people. But thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And then the Lord signs this one as it were. As he does a few other times. I am the Lord. So all that compassion. All that kindness and all that goodness is really summed up in that divine command that we see in the heart of verse 18 of Leviticus 19, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. You see, it's clearly an Old Testament command, an Old Testament uh, law of love. But then John brings it in, uh, and as we know, it is in the, before we get to John, we know it's in the New Testament. We know that it's brought into the New Testament. The New Testament law that he says, again, a new commandment I write unto you in verse 8. But that commandment that John is about to, to, to teach about to some degree is part of the golden rule, the golden law, however you want to pronounce it and speak about it, that the Jews already knew. You may or may not know, but, but when we come to that 
that golden rule that we have in Matthew 22. It's also in, in other gospel accounts as well. And it talks about, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. Now that's just taken straight from Deuteronomy. That's taken from the Old Testament. See, that Old Testament standard to love God. So, we're not, it's not, so the idea that, that the Old Testament is all ritual, external, and carnal, and not spiritual, is not supported by the Bible itself. Therefore, you shouldn't support that. It's not true. The moral and the spiritual standards were exactly the same, and the way of salvation through faith alone, whereby we receive the righteousness of God, was exactly the same as well. And so that command went out, Deuteronomy 6 and verse 5. And then we join, that's joined to Leviticus 19 and verse 18 that we just read. And so they know it. So in Matthew's account, um, there's a man that comes up and says, Master, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And the Lord Jesus Christ then quotes these two commandments of love as the summary of the law, of the, of the moral law, the Ten Commandments. But in another, another place, the Lord himself says to somebody, what is the summary of the law? What is, what is the greatest commandment? And they come out with, this Jew comes out, I believe it was a scribe, comes out with exactly the same truth. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, strength, and mind, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So it's an old commandment. They've known it for, for, for centuries, for 1,500 years or so. They knew what God's command was to them. This was given to the people in the wilderness. This was given to Moses. And the very founding of the nation in that way. And so it's an old rule. I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which ye had from the beginning. You know it. You know what the command is to love the Lord with all that you are, to love your neighbor as yourself. But here we have the difference. It is Christ himself that inserts himself into the command, that Christ himself, he renews it, and Christ himself that calls it a new commandment. So what John says here, he's just quoting what the Lord Jesus Christ said in his earthly ministry. If we can find it. So where would we find that? We find that in John chapter 13. John chapter 13. And the Lord using this same language. A new commandment I give unto you. That you love one another. And how does he make it different? By adding this. As I have loved you. That ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. It's as if John takes these two verses from John 13, 34 to 35, and he now starts applying them here. How do you know that you're a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ? Because you love one another. And you love one another in the same way that Jesus loves you. In other words, you're able to give that sweet and unconditional love to another because you have been first the recipient of it. He puts himself in there, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And that's what John goes on to say. 
So it's an Old Testament love, New Testament law, but it is the new creation life. It is the life of the new creation in Jesus Christ. See that in in verse 8 of 1 John 2. Again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you. You see, he, he brings Christ very much into the heart of this command because Christ has renewed it. He has enabled it more fully. It's true in him and in you because the darkness is past and the true light now shineth. And I think the, the important phrase there is which thing is true in him and in you. The thing pointed to is love. This love, this agape love, this, as we'll look at in a minute, this unconditional love. Christ loves his disciples. Consider that. That Jesus Christ loves his disciples and he desires that they would love each other. Let me speak to every parent here that has more than one child or has had more than one child. You know what it's like. You have these children, you love them and you want them to love each other. And you can speak to them, you 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 can rebuke them, you can punish them, you can encourage them. And in many cases that's it's only with the, with the course of, of, of many rebukes and many punishments and many years until they finally sort of grow up mentally as well and emotionally and physically that they slowly get it in them. But that's almost in spite, it seems, of your warnings. The parent, wants, the parent loves the child and wants all the children to love each other. Christ is no different. He loves his disciples far more than any parent loves their own child. And that is one of the strongest loves that any human being knows. It's the love to their own children. But he desires, in fact, he commands that we love each other. And further reason is given in verse 8. I say again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you when he is in you, because the darkness is past and the true light now shineth. And then, how do we understand that? Could we say, well, now that Christ has been revealed, he is now, he is born, he's incarnate, he's born, he's, he, he's had these years upon earth, he's had, his, he's had his ministry upon earth, he has, he has gone to the cross, he's fulfilling all the demands of the covenant of grace, and he died and he rose again from the dead and now sits on the right hand of the majesty on high. That that has now all happened and therefore there is a sort of a renewal uh, of that command of love to go out. Yes. Yes, because there are those that are brought in to this, this, this new church of Christ that, that, that never were part of the Jews. They knew nothing of the Old Testament. But, but they hear very quickly that this commandment is, is a commandment to love the Lord, yes, and the Lord's people. In fact, it proves that you love the Lord when you love the Lord's people. And so there is a newness in that. That Christ has now come. We've, he is our great example. We have the living example of him that loves his people, even to death. But I would suggest that in this, and that's very true, but I would suggest in this case and in the context of what we're reading in these verses that it points to the rebirth, to the regeneration, the new life. 
If Christ is in you and his love is in you, the darkness of sin and the hatred, the love of hatred are past. It's old news. The light of Jesus shines within you, therefore you are enabled to love the brethren. And that's what he says, that's what John says even in chapter 3 and verse 14. In the next chapter, 1 John 3 and verse 14, he says this, We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. So we see that John comes back to that theme. So it's a, a mark that he emphasizes once again that we'll look at in due time as the Lord is pleased to grant. So the new commandment of ancient times we've looked at. It's a, it's a new commandment, and yet it is an old truth. It is an old law of love. Secondly, the love towards the brethren. The love toward the brethren. Because this love that we see that we see that's mentioned here is that love that I mentioned in the introduction, that unconditional love, a love without conditions, without any conditions. Where do we find that love that has no conditions? You don't find it naturally within yourself. You do not find it naturally in the world at all, even after the rebirth. It's not something that is, that is naturally there, except God put it there. It is a grace of God. And what I mean when it's not naturally there, it's not something that comes easy to even the born-again believer, although it would be deposited there and worked in us by the Spirit of God at conversion. But it is a love without conditions. See, the conditional love, as I mentioned in the introduction, is that, is that love or that affection um, that, that, that is when you are nice to someone, that they are nice back to you. And that's the great encouragement in life, of course. If you're polite to other people, people will be polite to you. If you're helpful to other people, you hope that they will be helpful to you. And so the conditional love in the church, then, is, is that you're nice, you're polite, you're pleasant, uh, and not just from the lips, but also in the heart. That conditional love, I mean is that when people do that back to you, they're giving you what you want or what you, you, what you desire to see, what you approve of maybe. Maybe you respect them for how they carry themselves, how they dress themselves, how they behave themselves. Maybe you have a lot of respect for them because they tick all your theological boxes. And that's a very, as I said, a very natural love, but it's insufficient in the church. It's insufficient that the church would run on conditional love because we don't fulfill each other's expectations. We certainly don't check, tick each other's boxes on absolutely every single detail of, of theology or even how we live. And whatever we do at home or, or the vehicle or whatever it is, there's different flavors, different attitudes, different weight put on different things. And when we're thinking of conditional love, that does not hold up. Because most people think that they are the standard to which everybody else must reach. But that's not unconditional love, that's conditional love. But Christ does not love you based upon any condition in you. 
we would receive no love of God, but only the wrath and the hatred of God if it was all conditional. God, Christ loves his people in spite of their daily failings and daily sins. He still loves his people because his love is an unconditional love. It's Christ who has met every condition. That we would know the love of God. That we would know the salvation of God. That we would have the peace with God is that where we could not fulfill any condition, Christ has met and fulfilled them greatly, so much so that John says, as we've already looked at, in verse 2 of chapter 2, and he is the propitiation for our own sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Just considering how much Christ fulfilled, enough to save the souls of a thousand million earths, and a thousand billion, billion human sinners. He has met the conditions. And he loves us unconditionally. Because there is no believer that is sinless. There is no believer whose heart is completely right with God. Legally it is. But we fail him. And that's the exact type of love that Christ would have from us. That Christ forgives you. That Christ forbears with you. That, that Christ still loves you and still blesses you in spite of all of those commandments that you break and ignore. He wants you to love the brethren because he loves you. You don't merely put up with them but you truly love them, then there's a big difference. Not just putting up, thank God that Christ does not merely put up with his people, but he truly loves his people. So it's a love without any condition. May God bless that understanding to us that we may meditate on that, see where we are going wrong personally in our interactions with all sorts of people in the world and all sorts of people in the church. That if I say that Christ loves me, that I, and he loves me unconditionally because I meet none, that I must love others even though they don't meet my conditions. And what are my conditions? Mostly of the flesh. So love without conditions, but love without shadows. Love without shadows. What do I mean like love without gray areas? Yes and no. But what I really want to point out is that love as it's expressed in the Bible is a very black and white thing. Love and hate are very black and white. Now when we looked at Malachi uh, chapter 1 uh, just recently, we saw that it says that God loved Jacob but hated Esau. And yet he wasn't mean to Esau. He blessed Esau. Maybe that language of mean is a bit too human, but you know, he blessed Esau he gave Esau a whole land, Edom. And, and, and great progeny, powerful kings came forth from Edom. There's a great, great uh, uh, collection of kingdoms. Great princes, great warriors were there. They were blessed by him. And yet it says that God hated Esau. We understood in the context that that, that was the electing love of God. God elected to love Jacob and had elected to hate Esau. 
But it's also this very truth that there is a black and white division when it comes to love and hate. God hates sinners. Christ loves his church. Very black and white. And the Bible is very black and white. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that God loves sinners but hates your sin. God hates sin and he hates unrepentant sinners. So to love means not to hate. And therefore to hate means not to love. Again, a very black and white understanding. And it is. It is a very basic truth. You can't say that you love someone, but you despise them, that you mock them, that you gossip about them behind their back, that you denigrate them, that you look at the person and you have all sorts of negative thoughts. Because if you did love someone, you wouldn't gossip. You wouldn't do your best to undermine them. You wouldn't do your best to put them down. No, love means you're doing your best for that person. That you have loving thoughts, you have loving desires, you have loving deeds towards that person. Because that's what God does to his people. Curses are removed on Calvary and blessings are given because of the blood. Love without any shadows. It's black and white. This unconditional love. So you love them without any reason found in them and you truly love them from your heart and with all your actions. That's what love is. Anything else is hatred. Which means there's an awful lot for us to repent of. So having seen love without shadows, what about love without stumbling? Because he says that in verse 10. He says, he that loveth his brother, so we're just jumping over verse 9, we'll come back to that in a second. He says, he that loveth his brother abideth in the light, lives in the light, stays in the light. And there is none occasion of stumbling or causing scandal in him. So this love so loves the brethren, so loves the brethren and sisters in Christ that there is no malice, there is no wickedness, there is no foolishness in such love towards the brethren. And who are the brethren? Well, the brethren are the the, the bride of Christ, the beloved of Christ. And so when when we're commanded to love the brethren, we're commanded to love the bride We're commanded to to have that love towards Christ's bride, whom he loves. That where he focuses his love, we also are to focus our love. And therefore, do you have a desire for, for the bride's good? For her blessing and for her growth and for her peace? Now, if you would say yes, of course... But then it gets awkward and tricky when we break down the bride of Christ and of Christ, the bride of Christ, and see that it's made up of redeemed sinners like you and me. And then it's no longer theoretical. Then it has to become practical. And then that unconditional love is not just some nice, high, fuzzy feeling uh, theological idea. Then, it, then, then the rubber hits the road, as it were. Then, then it becomes difficult. 
Because then you really do have to love somebody without conditions. It's not conditioned upon how they treat you or how they make you feel good or bad. But it's because Christ loves you. Only that. Do you have trust that Christ loves you so much that you are his bride, a part of his bride, a member of his bride? That his blood is flowing through you, as it were, because you are part of his body. If you, if you love Christ, then of course you would love his bride. You'd have to, because you'd be a part of it. And so therefore you would not desire to have anything be, be, be besides love. Anything besides love, going back to that black and white idea, is hate. It may be a very tepid form of hate. It may be a very small form of hate. But you, as you know, you only, need, you only need a few grains of sand in the ointment, in the ointment to know that it scratches and, and is very unpleasant. Although it be small, the, 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 the story of the princess and the pea. One pea under those many mattresses was unpleasant. It, small things matter. Because from small things, big things come. So any hatred is to be repented of. Any despising is to be repented of. Any grudges are to be abandoned. But the word that's used here though, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him, there is no occasion of stumbling, not causing a stain on anyone's reputation, not causing anyone to backslide, uh, not, cause, not be causing anyone to become disillusioned and maybe go even fair, further than that and say, not being the cause of anybody falling away. The full extent of scandal. He that loveth his brother abideth, stays in the light and does all the things of the light. There's no secrecy, there's no darkness, there's no duplicity. Because you're walking in the light. And there is none occasion of stumbling in him. So the new commandment of ancient times, the love toward the brethren, and thirdly and finally, the blindness of hatred. The blindness of hatred. As I said, John is not pulling any punches here. In verse 9 then it says, He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. And that's a very simple truth. If anyone has not been touched by Christ's unconditional love, then it is impossible for them to love unconditionally. You don't love because you are not loved. Simple. You do not love because you are not loved. And what does that point to? It points to a number of things that we see here. Firstly, a false profession, because that's what he says. He that saith he is in the light. He that says that they're a Christian. He that says that they know of the work of God in them. He that saith that, 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 that they trust in the Lord, that they love the Lord. And people say all sorts of things, especially in church. 
But again, John is saying very clearly, he that saith he is in the light, somebody who makes a profession of faith, who walks around and wants to give everyone the impression and says so and maybe even give themselves a false impression, saying that they're in the, in the light, they are in the faith, they belong to Jesus, they're walking in the light, and hateth his brother. And this is, this, this is really what it comes down to, the, the crux of everything that we've looked at so far. There has been no change in that person. He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. And there is no exception built into this doctrine. As much as those that hate the brethren would like to think so. Because why? Well, the love of self has not been redirected. The love of self has not been healed in any way. The love of self has not been redirected towards God. You have not received that unconditional of God. God is not your Father. The, the, the Savior is not your Redeemer. His Spirit does not indwell you because if any of those three facts, and they all must be together at the same time, if that is not the case, then of course you cannot love. Of course you're not. You're still a spiritually, morally dead sinner dead in trespasses and sins, walking according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air and under God's wrath. And whatever you might say and wish in your own heart of hearts, if you hate the brethren, if you hate any brethren, it's not meaning, do you hate the whole church? Saying, is there hatred in you towards a fellow Christian? And what is that hatred again? It, 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 it's a despising. It is a, a mocking. It is a gossiping. And whether that's seen on the outside, it doesn't matter. The Lord looks at the heart. And he sees it and he knows it. So you're still in darkness. You're spiritually dead and you're still full of self-love. And it cannot be redirected to the brethren. And he says, therefore, the darkness is not past. Verse 8 speaks of that. Verse 8, he says, because the darkness is past and the true light now shineth. But essentially, John is saying, well, not in your case. But verse 9 has that. He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. So the darkness is not a past history. The darkness, the darkness of sin the darkness of wrath, the darkness of spiritual corruption is still a present truth. It's not in the past. Because by their fruit you shall know them. And if that is the case, as you conscientiously take this word to heart and examine it, and firstly, if you're taking this word seriously and you're being convicted by it and you desire us to repent of what you see in this word, that is a good mark. That is a good indication. That you see that sin, you see that lack of love and it, and, and, and it causes you to grieve before the Lord. But to hear this word... And not to take it to heart, even to despise this word, means that verse 9 points to you. He that saith he is in the light 
and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. So the darkness is not past. In fact, the darkness is so terrible that he says that your eyes are still darkened, that you are blind in verse 11. He that hateth his brother is in darkness and walketh in darkness and knoweth not, and knoweth not whither he goeth because that darkness has blinded, blinded his eyes. Oh, there's so much to be said just about that phrase. We know that spiritual darkness is a work of the devil. Paul says that in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 4, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, uh, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. So this darkness is a blinding by the devil, by sin. They're still in the kingdom of darkness. Their heart is still filled with darkness. And they are still the children of wrath. And knoweth not whither he goeth. Why? Because the false professor thinks they're going to heaven. But they knoweth not whither he goeth. So that points either to a lack of assurance or a false assurance. A false assurance, I think, would be more relevant to what we're looking at here. He that saith he is in the light, knoweth not whither he goeth. Because they're blind. See how these are linked together? Hatred, darkness, and blindness. Love, light, and life. And they are in separate kingdoms. That does not mean we're not speaking that there is sinless perfection to be found for the, for the children of God on this side of glory. We're not saying that. But these are the marks, these are the standards, these are the fruits of a true conversion. But as we close, let me just say this. See how the love of Christ, and you can read this again and again in the Scriptures, how the love toward Christ is inseparably bound with the love towards Christ's people. You cannot have one and not the other. That's what John says. There are no exceptions. If you think you can make an exception, then your soul is written up in, in verse 11. But what happens then if you look at this and you're concerned and you think, well, I, 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 I do like to believe, but I, I, and I'm sure that the Lord loves me and I do see a great lack of love within me, what am I to do? Well, you are to come to the Lord and repent of this darkness, to repent of this hatred. And that you are to learn by God's grace, by God's power, lest you be a legalist Pharisee, to accept all of God's people, to love all of God's people with the standards that God sets for us. Not because you like them or because they like you, but because, and not because you agree with them or they agree with you. Not because you've got the same taste in clothing or the same color scheme or whatever it is. It's not on those human levels. Is that you love them because Christ loves you. And Christ commands you to love all of those that he has washed in his 
blood. And so the way out of this, the way out of this darkness and this death is repentance. Maybe you are a truly born-again believer and you're convicted when you read this and you say, yes, indeed, I am not as unconditional at all. I'm very conditional. I don't like this and this and this in that person and that, and that nudges my heart into bitterness and to hatred. I mean, not a huge amount of hatred, but enough to be there. Well, then we repent. Say, Lord, I do not love as thou commandest me to love. Help me. And if you read this and you think, wow, I'd always thought that I was in the light. But according to the truth of Scripture, it describes me that I hate my brother, that I'm in darkness. But that's good that you see that then. That means some of the blindness has been lifted away. That you're able to see that the Lord has described you And yet we know that we have the good news of the gospel, that we can come to the Lord, that we can seek forgiveness from him and that you can then rest in his love. That you can rest in the love of Christ and learn to love the people of Christ. Matthew Henry, in closing then, Matthew Henry says this. He says, Having now imbibed, that is, drunk in more of the spirit of Christ, the Christian breathes out goodwill to man and love to all the brethren. It is the Lord Jesus that is the great master, the teacher of love. It is his school that is his own church, that is the school of love. His disciples are the disciples of love, and his family must be the family of love. May God bless his word to us this morning. Let us close in prayer. Lord, we do thank thee for thy word. Sharp words. We pray, O Lord, that thy word will be like that sword to stab in further. Would thou bless that word to us, where we're convicted? May it be turned by thee into a blessing that we would repent, that we would give up hatred and despising and grudges and walk in the light as he is in the light. But we need help from above that we do not cast off the conviction. We need help from above that we would repent. We need help from above to love our neighbor as ourselves. For, O God, Thou knowest how much we do love ourselves. But Thou would have us to love Christ and the brethren. Help us, O Lord, that we may bring glory to Thy name, even through Thy preached word today. For we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Open your hymn books to hymn 61. Hymn 61. This is my Father's world, and to my listening ears, all nature sings, and round me rings the music of the spheres. This is my Father's world, I rest me in the thought of rocks and trees, of skies and seas, his hand, the wonders wrought. As I look at this, this is really for this evening. I've given it off, I gave it as a morning one, so... um,
we'll just take the one from this evening then. What was the third one from this evening? Have you got it written down? 500, we'll take 500 from this evening. Hymn 500, please. Be still, my soul, the Lord is on thy side. Bear patiently the cross of grief or pain. Let's stand to sing uh, hymn 500, please.